Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 55. This episode is the second in a series of Open vSwitch tech talks that we are starting to run internally at VMware every week or two. This particular episode is an introduction to OVSDB, including its history, the features of its schemas, the features of the server included with OVS, the OVSDB network protocol, and the OVSDB file format, and it concludes with several minutes of questions. On to the talk. I'm going to talk about OVSDB today, and there's a lot of material online, so I thought I'd start out with some stuff that's a little harder to find. Uh, in, in particular, uh, why does OVSDB exist and where did, where did it come from? There's a lot of databases out there, and why would we waste our time and effort to um, building another one? Well, uh, like so many things, uh, a lot of it comes back to uh, where we got started from. So uh, when uh, OVSD, when Open vSwitch uh, started out, uh, in fact, I think uh, before we even called it Open vSwitch, when it was still the uh, OpenFlow reference imp implementation, uh, we needed to have some way uh, to configure the switch. Uh, if I remember right, at the very beginning, we just started out with command line arguments, command line options, but that doesn't scale very well, and so uh, before long, we transitioned to configuration files that, that looked a lot like uh, INI files or, or git config files where uh, you basically had a collection of lines and each line was uh, some key uh, equals some value. Uh, this, this scaled uh, pretty well and I think we might even have stuck with it indefinitely um, except that at, at one point um, we needed the, uh, the controller in the setup uh, to be able to uh, influence the configuration or and and to read the configuration um, as well as the switch, so at that point, uh, you have two systems sitting across a network uh, that uh, both need uh, to uh, uh, be able to access monitor uh, modify uh, a single uh, data data store, and that begins to look uh, quite a bit uh, like a database. Uh, now, uh, Justin actually made a, a first attempt at uh, how, to, uh, uh, how to improve this, and that was a, a, a pretty, pretty simple approach. I think all it did, if I remember right, and Justin's sitting right there, so maybe he'll correct me, I think all it did was basically ship configuration files over the network so that uh, if, if one side uh, needed to, uh, um, to update it, uh, and it was on the wrong uh, wrong side of the network. It would uh, ship across uh, what it uh, what it wanted to be there. Uh, but uh, before long, it became uh, apparent that we needed something a little more sophisticated. And uh, well, there there's a bunch of options that, uh, if we were doing this today, uh, would would make more sense than creating our own database. Uh, so uh, around 2009, 2010. Uh, a new working group formed at uh, the Open Networking Foundation, uh, which is what standardized OpenFlow and what we were uh, uh, both greatly influenced by and influenced a lot ourselves. They, they started a, a working group uh, for something that is sort of parallel to OVSDB called OFConfig. However, uh, when we needed OVSDB, that didn't exist. Uh, and so that, uh, um, that wasn't an approach we could take. Um, this was really before the era of a lot of these uh, NoSQL databases. So things like, like etcd uh, didn't exist, and so uh, those, those weren't something that we could just easily adopt. Probably today, those would be uh, some of the first things we'd look at. Um, we, we did consider, uh, say, uh, MySQL and Postgres and so on. There, there were a number of good quality uh, free SQL databases out there. But the reason that we rejected them, besides just sort of generally feeling that they were pretty heavyweight for configuration, uh, was that we, we figured that OVSDB, or, or, or whatever it was, uh, would probably have to run on a lot of uh, resource, low-resource embedded systems, a, a lot of these uh, top-of-rack switches. Uh, and it, it seemed like a, a lot to ask of those to uh, be able to run one of those uh, uh, entire uh, systems. Uh, we, we figured that at 
at most, uh, we could afford, say, uh, 100 megabytes of, of RAM uh, and ideally less. So it seemed like those were uh, uh, pretty much out of the picture. Uh, another uh, option that, that came up was uh, the NetConf protocol, which is a, a general purpose protocol for configuring uh, network devices. Uh, the problem with uh, NetConf was that uh, I was on, only able to track down one uh, free software or open source implementation of it, which seemed pretty heavyweight, and uh, we also had this sort of general worry uh, about patents around it and, and patent aggression by uh, the, the patent holders there. Um, it seems like that has uh, been more or less cleared up in the last couple of years, so that would probably be a, a viable choice today. Um, and then there were a couple of choices that, that would have been uh, viable, like, say, SQLite or Berkeley DB. Uh, but the problem with those projects is that those are embedded databases. They don't have a network protocol. So uh, if we were going to adopt one of those, then we would have had to write uh, some sort of network server in any case as a wrapper over them. So uh, we found our, uh, oh, there were also some uh, license questions around BerkeleyDB. So uh, we, we, can't, we've, we found ourselves uh, without a good solution without writing some code. So uh, the, the, the next step, once we uh, concluded that we needed to write anything at all, uh, was to come up with our requirements. Um, so we, we knew that we, uh, we needed uh, something that was transactional um, because it, it, it fairly often uh, you could have, say, uh, multiple controllers all trying to talk to the database. They might be making conflicting changes. Um, uh, the, the switch itself, when it sees an update uh, to the configuration, it wants to see uh, a bunch of changes all, all grouped together. It doesn't want to try to implement them one at a time, uh, especially when some of those changes, like removing configuration, might break your network configuration so that you, you can't get to the database anymore. So it's uh, very important uh, to be able to make a bunch of changes uh, all at once and have them uh, take effect together. Um, so uh, most of the ACID properties, atomic, consistent, isolated, durable, are uh, very important uh, for this kind of database. Uh, the, the only one of those properties where there's some question is the durability property because uh, in a lot of cases, uh, you, you don't care uh, when you reboot uh, whether the entire configuration comes back up because uh, as long as your controller can connect and uh, put back the configuration at once, uh, that, uh, that is uh, uh, often acceptable. So OVSDB, uh, implements uh, ACI, and the D is optional. Uh, let's see, I already mentioned that we wanted it to be small. Um, we wanted it to be fast, although when I say fast, um, maybe a better way uh, to say it is that uh, we wanted it to not use very much CPU. Um, first of all, because small network devices don't have much CPU to use, um, and uh, second, uh, if, if you're going to use it, you'd better use it for something valuable, like, um, like, like actual changes to the database. You don't want it to be using a lot of, uh, a lot of CPU when, uh, when things are more or less idle. Um, and uh, I, uh, the other thing that we spent some time thinking about was what kind of a network protocol uh, do we want? Uh, these days, something like uh, Google RPC or HTTP, uh, so something layered over HTTP, uh, would be kind of obvious. Uh, back then, it was much less obvious. gRPC wasn't invented until many years later. Um, HTTP didn't have the, uh, um, the, the sort of uh, um, overall reign over everything uh, that it does now. Uh, our, the choices that we came up with, uh, more or less seriously, uh, were uh, something over XML or something over JSON. Uh, in the end, we decided to buy, uh, base it on JSON, or specifically on JSON RPC, uh, because it's so simple. You can write a JSON uh, parser and emitter library uh, in C that's full-featured in about a thousand lines of code, um, and uh, it's high performance. Uh, it's uh, more or less uh, um, more or less obviously correct, and that's what we ended up doing. Uh, if we'd gone with XML, XML is much heavier weight. Um, you basically can't write it yourself. You need to import a fairly large library for that. Uh, and I, I think that uh, from our, uh, our, our viewpoint that uh, we wanted something uh, small and fast, it would have been a mistake. 
So uh, that brings me to uh, the features that we ended up putting in it uh, beyond the most basic requirements. And I, I can talk about uh, why they're there. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a relational database. And that confuses some people because uh, when they think of relational databases, they usually think of SQL. Well, uh, a relational database, it, it really just means that the database is organized in terms of relations. Uh, another uh, name for a relation is a table. Um, and that the, uh, the, the tables uh, uh, refer to each other in, in various ways. In, uh, in a SQL-based uh, relational database, usually uh, the, the way that the tables refer to each other is uh, simply by uh, they, they use, say, the, the same key values in, in different columns, and then you do joins over those. Uh, you can do that in OVSDB, but uh, OVSDB also has uh, the, the concept of direct references uh, from, from one row in one table uh, to a row in another table. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about uh, that a, a little bit more. So um, OVSDB, like I said, it's a relational database organized in terms of, of tables that consist of rows, and each row has a, a certain number of columns. Uh, the, the query language isn't SQL. Uh, it's uh, a much simpler one uh, that we devised uh, based on uh, JSON. I'll talk about the query language a, a little bit later. Uh, we, a lot of databases these days are fairly, uh, fairly freeform. Uh, they don't really have a, a schema. Um, pretty much anything can go anywhere. Uh, that didn't seem like a, a great idea uh, to us at the time. Uh, so uh, OVSDB has a, a fairly rich uh, schema language. So uh, each of these uh, each of these columns in your uh, in your tables has a, a defined uh, type. And so uh, OVSDB has a number of basic types that it supports. A column uh, can be an integer, real, boolean, string, or UUID column. And in addition to just having those basic types, it can also be um, a, a set of one of those types. So you could have a set of integers or a set of UUIDs, for example. Um, or it could be a map from one of those types to another. So for example, string-to-string maps are, are pretty common. Um, and, and you can have other uh, uh, um, other types of, of maps as well, like, for example, integer to UUID. In addition uh, to these, uh, these types that it supports, uh, it, it supports a, a fairly wide universe of constraints. So for each of those, uh, um, each of those basic types, like integer or real, uh, you can have constraints on, uh, the, um, on, the, on the range that they can have. So you could say that uh, an integer column was uh, limited to integers in the range, say, 0 to 255 or any other range. Um, you, you can also have constraints uh, that are con uh, called enumeration constraints, where uh, you can have a list of the specific values that the column can have. So, uh, for example, uh, in an OVSDB database that, uh, uh, that controls the configuration of a virtual switch, uh, there are some columns that have uh, uh, enumerated strings that they can take. Like, so uh, in, o OV in OVS, for example, uh, a, a switch can, uh, supports uh, a couple of different uh, failure modes, is what they're called, meaning that if the controller disconnects, then what does the switch do? So uh, the column that sets the failure mode can be set to either secure or standalone. And the constraints in the database uh, schema ensure that those are the only two uh, possible values that that uh, column can, can hold. You can constrain the number of values that a, um, that a column can have. So, uh, for example, there are a lot of columns in OVSDB uh, that can have either 0 or 1 Boolean values. So that means that effectively the column can be blank or it can be true or it can be false. And that's really useful for cases where uh, OVS has some, uh, some usable default but sometimes people want to uh, override that in one direction or another. Uh, and then there are, there are other ways that you can uh, uh, constrain uh, individual columns as well. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, uh, yeah, references. I mentioned that uh, a, one column or, or one, uh, one column in OVSDB uh, might uh, reference a, a row in that table or in some other table. Well, uh, that, all ha that all happens through uh, UUID-typed uh, fields. So every row in an OVSDB uh, 
database has a, has a UUID that uniquely identifies it. Um, and so for one row to refer to another, it, it does that uh, by containing the UUID of the, uh, uh, of the row that it refers to. Uh, and uh, so that, uh, for that purpose, uh, you just set the type of the, uh, the column to UUID. Uh, and then in addition, you can tell it that there's a, um, that there's a constraint that it refers to a row in a particular table, uh, and uh, either as a, a strong or a weak reference. So uh, if, it's a, if it's a strong reference, then the OVSDB server actually enforces that uh, um, the, the row that you're referring to uh, exists. So if you try to, for example, delete a row that has a reference to it, uh, the server will reject that. If you try to add a reference to a row that doesn't exist, it'll reject that too. Um, on the other hand, if you have a weak reference, then uh, if, if, uh, if a column is a weak reference to a row that doesn't exist, OVSDB will actually de delete the reference. So, for example, um, if you've got a... Uh, and this is, this is useful uh, occasionally uh, for cases where you have some... Uh, you might say a secondary table uh, like uh, in, in OVS, uh, port mirroring is implemented through weak references. So uh, you might have a, a port mirror that says that any packets that, that come in on ports A or B or C should be mirrored to port D. So uh, if, you, if you go and you, uh, and you delete port B, then uh, uh, OVSDB server, because that's implemented as a weak reference, We'll just delete that uh, from uh, the port mirror, so that now anything that uh, that comes in on ports A or C will be mirrored, but B went away, so uh, uh, B is uh, uh, no longer there, just automatically. But if I could just add something on that. So then that also causes um, that UUID that's often hidden and is important to keep in mind because it sometimes makes things a little surprising. So if you're duplicating things. You have to make sure that you, and then you're copying them on a new database. You're going to get a different UUID for that row. You have to make sure that you have the right reference. And then if you're using like the low-level CLI commands, then a lot of times you actually have to create the row before you can create the reference. And then you have to like, and then have a, um, you know, then there's the complicated logic in order to refer to something when you're generating these, uh, these commands that might have to create one row and then have a reference to it as well. So there, there are a lot of details. Um, so in, in some cases, you might have to create uh, both a row and the row that uh, reference it in the same transaction so that the uh, constraints are all, all satisfied at the same time. Uh, let, let's see. Um, so in addition to these, uh, these column uh, uh, or value constraints uh, and uh, or, uh, referential integrity constraints, uh, OVSDB uh, supports uniqueness constraints. Uh, so you can tell it, for example, that uh, within the interface table, um, the name has to be unique, and, and then the, the database server will uh, automatically enforce that for you so that if you try to create a second interface that has the same name as an, uh, as an existing one, the, the database server itself will, uh, will reject that uh, transaction. It, uh, it, it also has this feature that I think is fairly unique in the um, database world, uh, which is a, a garbage collection feature. Uh, so that uh, you can set it up so that some tables are considered root tables and other uh, tables are, uh, are not considered root tables. And, and what this means is that if you have a row in a non-root table and there's no row that refers to it uh, in, in any of the other tables, then OVSDB will automatically delete that row. And uh, this is used in, uh, in OVS uh, for... Uh, a, a lot of things, but uh, one one of the examples is uh, in, in in OVS uh, you have you have a set of bridges, and those bridges have a set of ports, and each of those ports has a set of interfaces, often just one interface. Uh, and because of this uh, structure of the references and uh, the, the way that it uses root and non-root tables, if you take your your bridge table, for example, and uh, you remove one of the ports from its set of ports, then uh, OVSDB on its own will automatically delete that port that you removed, and it will delete the interfaces that it pointed to, uh, which means that you, you can be assured that 
uh, whenever OVSDB shows you, for example, that there is an interface in the interface table, you know that there's some port that contains that, and you know that there's some bridge that contains that, uh, simply because of the way it, it does the, uh, the garbage collection. There's a, a few other uh, features. But, but I just wanted to add, sort of in reference to the thing you talked about before with the UUIDs, um, is that because of that garbage collection, you were talking about how it gets cleaned up, um, but also sort of, but it also works when you're adding something. So like if you added an interface tape, an interface row, but nothing refers to it, it'll just get cleaned up because it's not root. So that can sometimes be surprising as well. Right. Uh, so if you try to add something in a transaction and that uh, never... Uh, and that isn't re referred to, and so it gets sort of auto-deleted de auto from that transaction, then uh, the, the OVSDB server will actually uh, log that you probably did something that you didn't mean to because you added a row that, that never actually made it into the database. Uh, let's see. Uh, you can also uh, limit the number of rows in a particular table. In uh, OVS and OVN, we, we only use this uh, for a few tables that really represent a sort of global configuration. We uh, limit the number of rows that they have to a single row, and, and that's just so that you have a, a single set of global configuration. For example, for a, a, a given OVS instance, uh, you only want one row in the Open vSwitch table, which does top-level configuration. Uh, it, it also supports immutable columns, which are columns that can't be modified uh, after they're inserted, after the row is created. So. Uh, whatever you put in that, that row uh, in the transaction that inserted it, uh, that's, uh, um, that, that's there. Uh, and uh, OVS uses this really to reduce confusion in a couple of cases. Uh, like uh, in, the, in the port table and in the interface table, uh, the, the name column is immutable. And uh, that, that's because it, it caused a, a lot of confusion uh, in the code itself um, and among some of the users uh, when uh, we, we tried to support renaming things by just uh, changing that column. Um, there, there are probably other reasons to uh, make columns immutable, but that's the one that we've uh, mainly used it for. And then uh, one of my favorite features, which is kind of uh, uh, surprising at first, is that you can mark columns as ephemeral. And an ephemeral column uh, is almost like the opposite of a durable column. Uh, the, the data that you put in an ephemeral column never gets written to disk. It never gets written uh, to the database log, which means that uh, when you restart the database server, uh, that, that data just goes away. That uh, seems bizarre. Uh, the reason uh, that it's useful is uh, that there is some data that, uh, that doesn't need to be persistent um, and is updated often, uh, and it just isn't valuable to, uh, to write to disk. Uh, the, the place that OVS uses this the most is for uh, statistics, like, for example, interface statistics. If you look at the OpenVSwitch interface table, it has uh, columns that give you things like the number of packets transmitted and received on the interface, uh, the number of bytes transmitted and received, the number of different kinds of errors. Uh, these are the sorts of things that uh, the switch populates frequently um, as they change um, every few seconds. And, uh, and uh, furthermore, um, it, it can always uh, retrieve it again from uh, whatever the underlying interface counters are. So it would be a waste of disk space and disk bandwidth and so on to, uh, whenever OVS updates these things, write them to disk. So OVS just doesn't. And the ephemeral feature is pretty effective for that purpose. Uh, OVSDB also has some uh, pretty good uh, um, documentation tools. Uh, for each of the schemas that comes with uh, OVS, uh, you'll, you'll find a, an entity, entity relationship diagram of the tables and, their, uh, and, and which columns point to each other and, and which are the root tables and so on. Uh, and, and you'll also find a detailed documentation on uh, the, the tables and columns uh, and their types and their meanings. And uh, we've done a, a pretty good job of ensuring that it's difficult for the developers uh, to add things to the schema without at least uh, adding some, uh, um, some perfunctory documentation. Uh, so in, in general, I think you'll find that our, our schemas are uh, pretty effectively uh, documented. So that's an introduction to uh, the 
concepts behind OVSDB, uh, the schemas, uh, the, the basic features. And uh, now I'm going to uh, move on and talk a little bit about the protocol that, uh, OVS, that the OVSDB server uses to interface across the network. So uh, the protocol has actually been uh, codified in an informational RFC that was published a few years ago. That's RFC 7047, um, and uh, uh, Bruce Davey was the, the editor on that. Um, so it's, it's based on uh, JSON RPC uh, 1.0, uh, which is a, a very simple uh, protocol. Uh, if, if, you, uh, if you look up the RFC for JSON, which is only a few pages long, uh, and then you add in the, um, the description of uh, JSON RPC, uh, again, uh, only a, a few pages long. You, you can take that and implement it in uh, a few thousand lines of, of C code, and, and that's what we've done. So uh, the, the protocol has a lot of the sort of stuff that you'd expect out of a database protocol. Uh, the, the big, one of the big things in there is, is support for uh, transactions. And uh, a transaction is composed of a number of operations on a, on a particular database. So an operation can be, uh, uh, can be things like uh, inserting a row, deleting a row, um, updating a row. Um, and, and then uh, OVSDB also has a, a similar thing to update called mutate. Uh, the, the difference is uh, um, not that important, but you can look it up in the RFC. Um, and and that, that's what you use to update a database. There's also a... Um, an operation for reading rows from a database called select after the SQL operation, although it's much simpler than the SQL version. Uh, and then you get into things that are a little more, uh, a little more unusual. Um, so uh, first of all, uh, there's an operation called wait. And wait is how uh, transactional uh, consistency is, uh, is implemented in uh, OVSDB. Uh, OVSDB doesn't have long-running transactions. You, you can't do something like uh, uh, tell the server to begin a transaction and then uh, read some data and then update some data and then end the transaction. Instead, you send a transaction to the database server as a single message. Uh, the OVSDB server uh, process it, processes it and sends it back to you. And that means that uh, unless we add some special features, uh, there's no way for a client to read something from the database and then uh, update it uh, uh, later uh, without uh, having to worry that, uh, that there might have been a race that somebody else might have updated that data in the middle. And uh, the, the wait operation is a, a way to, uh, to avoid that. It, it essentially allows a client to uh, do, a, do a transaction that will only commit if, uh, if, if there hasn't been a a change in the database since then. So uh, the, the main set of arguments to wait is a database query, something like a select, and then uh, the expected result of that query. And, if, uh, and so when the server gets this, it, it runs the query, it compares it to that expected result, and if they differ, it aborts the transaction. So if you read something from the database and then you want to update it but only if it hasn't changed, then you send a second transaction that says, that says wait um, and essentially does a compare of, of what you read against what you, what you got. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then you do a second operation that says the update you want to do. Um, and using this, uh, this uh, single primitive, uh, you can imp uh, implement a pretty sophisticated uh, transactional semantics without having very much sophistication uh, in the database server itself. Uh, without having it uh, under have the um, all the complications it would need uh, to implement these these long running transactions that you find in uh, in SQL databases, for example, it does mean that the client has to be smarter because the client has to keep track of all the dependencies, um, all the stuff it read uh, in order to make uh, the updates that it uh, um, wants to uh, um, wants to make. Probably you're wondering why is this called wait. Well, there, there's more that you can do, more, than, more that you can do with it than just this sort of uh, a simple comparison that I was talking about. And in some cases, it will actually wait for uh, some uh, condition uh, to, uh, to be true or to be false. Um, but uh, the use of it that I've described is the most common one among the uh, OVSDB clients. 
There's a couple more operations. Um, my favorite one is called comment. And comment, its argument is just a text string. And uh, what it does is uh, that uh, if, if the transaction you're sending actually causes something to be written to disk, if it actually modifies the database, then uh, it includes that text string along, um, along with the actual transaction in the database log. And this is really useful because it can, uh, uh, this text string can tell you what the client was actually trying to do. So, uh, for example, uh, in NVP and probably in NSX, uh, when it's trying to update uh, the, the database to, uh, to do something relevant to NVP or NSX, it, it includes a comment that explains what it was doing. And uh, when we're going through and troubleshooting, uh, these comments can tell us a lot about uh, what, the, uh, what the developer is expected to be true. Um, and it makes it a lot easier uh, when you're going back to uh, one of those developers to say, uh, there's something going wrong. Uh, this, is, this is the comment that we got. What does that mean? Uh, and it, it makes that conversation a lot easier. Uh, and other uh, OVSDB clients, like, uh, for example, the command line ones, uh, like OVS, VSKittle, um, and some of those others, they will actually include the, the entire command line as the comment. So you can see uh, the, uh, the effect of the, uh, of the command on the, on the database uh, uh, directly and uh, what the user was, was trying to do at the time. Uh, let's see. Uh, one more... Uh, one more concept that uh, OVSDB server has, it has the concept of locks. So um, a lock is, uh, well, it, it's like a, a, a mutex or, or a lock in, in other contexts. Uh, one of the clients can hold a, a particular lock at a time, uh, and uh, they, they can request a lock. Uh, they can even request to steal a lock uh, and take it away from uh, somebody else who has them, uh, and they can, uh, they, they can release them. Uh, these these locks, uh, they're, they're, there's not a, a specific number of them. Uh, each of them just has a name that the uh, the, the client uh, can can specify. And the main use of these is to uh, is in circumstances where you only want uh, one one client uh, working in a particular way at a particular time. Uh, they they can take the lock. So uh, for example, uh, OVS vSwitchD. Uh, there should only be one OVS vSwitchD working uh, on a particular uh, uh, OVS database at a time. There, there should only be basically one switch on a system at a time. So uh, when you start up vSwitchD, it takes that lock, and uh, if it can't get it, then it knows there's some other OVS vSwitchD running, and uh, it'll, uh, it, it won't do anything. It'll, it'll wait for that other, uh, uh, other client to go away. This can actually be useful in some cases if you want to uh, do a, a fast handoff from uh, one, uh, one vSwitchD to another. Uh, vSwitchD takes a little bit of time to start up, but it can do that uh, while it's uh, uh, waiting for the lock uh, to the database. Uh, so we, we've talked about uh, using this to uh, make upgrades and uh, uh, downgrades a little faster. You could start the new vSwitchD um, and let it start up and then kill the old one. And uh, the database server would uh, very quickly hand off and tell the uh, new one that it had the lock and it would, uh, it would take over. And then uh, the final uh, network protocol aspect that I want to talk about is the concept of a monitor. So uh, most databases and most database clients uh, work uh, almost entirely in terms of transactions. So if you want to know what's in the database, uh, you use a transaction to do that. If you want to modify it, uh, you, you use a transaction to do that. Uh, OVSDB supports that, but it also has this monitor concept. So a client can say, I want to monitor uh, everything in this set of tables, uh, or uh, more specifically, I want to monitor specific subsets of particular tables. And uh, when it tells the database server that, uh, the server sends back uh, the current contents of, of those tables, or the subsets that it asked for. And then uh, as those tables continue to change in the future, it sends the, the sets of diffs, so that at any given time, uh, the, the client with the monitor uh, has, the, um, has an up-to-date snapshot of everything in the table. Uh, and uh, this is uh, really useful for uh, a, a lot of the systems that we're building. Like uh, Open vSwitch, for example, uses this uh, to keep track of the configuration of the switch. Uh, so that uh, whenever uh, the configuration changes, it uh, immediately has 
uh, all those updates. It doesn't have to keep polling. Um, and it, it doesn't even have to uh, pull for uh, what's there uh, if, uh, for example, it, it just happened to know that there'd, uh, there'd been a change and not the contents of the change. So uh, it was a little bit of a surprise to me to, uh, to, to find out that this isn't a common database concept. Um, I'm not really a, a databases person. And, and so uh, when we uh, started uh, uh, writing uh, OVN, uh, for which this is also a very useful concept. I, I was a little surprised when I started looking at all the universe of databases out there, trying to choose one for OVN, that uh, this simply isn't available in most database systems. Uh, I honestly don't really understand that. It, it seems like it's a, a, a pretty uh, useful feature that a lot of pieces of software would uh, benefit from. It's, in fact, the, the main way that uh, OVSDB clients tend to get uh, data from the database. So uh, OVN, uh, OVS, uh, NSX and NSX agent, uh, NVP, uh, they all use this uh, feature heavily for uh, getting the initial configuration from uh, an OVSDB database um, and then keeping track of it uh, as it changes uh, over time. Um, and it's, uh, I, I guess I, I just want to repeat that uh, it, it makes sure that the, the client always has a, a correct snapshot. Um, when, uh, when there's some other client that, that makes a change, um, OVS will always send um, a correct, uh, uh, a full set of changes uh, to the clients that are monitoring it. They, they won't get something that, that's uh, sort of half of the, uh, of the update, updated configuration. Um, a, a client uh, could have an old configuration if, uh, for example, uh, the, the network was slow or, or the database server um, just didn't have enough CPU time to run, but they won't get half a correct configuration. So that's what I want to say about the network protocol. And then uh, the, the final uh, category of uh, OVSDB stuff that I was planning to talk about today is the file format. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm only going to talk about the file format uh, for the standalone OVSDB. We, we have a, a newer version uh, of OVSDB that uh, is, is just starting to be put through its paces uh, that supports database clustering and distribution. Uh, that uses a slightly newer and different file format. Uh, but the, um, the one I'm talking about today is for standalone OVSDB. And it's actually really simple. So. An OVSDB file consists of, of records uh, that are, are each uh, a pair of, of lines of plain text. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the lines are very long. Uh, you know, they can be kilobytes or, or megabytes, I guess, in, in length. Uh, but they are, they are just plain text. So the, the first line in each of these records uh, just says uh, a, a few sort of uh, magic words that clearly identifies it as an OVSDB file. Uh, plus the uh, the length of the second line in bytes and uh, um, a checksum. Um, I think we're using SHA-1, uh, but a, a checksum to, to make sure that the second line hasn't been corrupted. And then the second line is just a, a JSON string that uh, that lists uh, all of the changes uh, to the database in that uh, in that transaction. And it, it looks uh, similar to what would appear in the um, in the, the network protocol, but not not quite identical. So. Um, th this has uh, some uh, nice properties. It's, it's append-only, which means that uh, when a transaction occurs, uh, the database server just adds content to it. So uh, nothing, ever, uh, nothing ever disappears, with the exception that when it gets really big, uh, OVS DB server will compact it and uh, throw away everything that doesn't really need to be there. It's fairly readable as a human, but we, we also have a... A, a nice utility called OVSDB tool that can take that format and make it more readable. If you run the, the show log command on an OVSDB file, then it will uh, translate uh, each of these records into something that, uh, that, that tells you in a human-readable format when that transaction occurred, um, what comment there was attached to that transaction, um, the, the rows that were modified or inserted or deleted, um, and if you increase the verbosity of that tool, it will actually tell you um, uh, what the details of those changes were. For example, what, what columns changed and, and what their uh, new values were. 
one of the nice properties of this is that if you want to sort of run backward um, a, a database, if you want to uh, go back to an earlier version of it, you can just delete some lines off the end. Um, if, you, uh, if you delete two lines and you're going back uh, one transaction, if you delete four lines, you're going back two transactions. Uh, and, and occasionally this, this can be useful for uh, playing uh, what-if games or, or trying to figure out uh, what, what happened at, at some point in the past. Um, and in general, we found that this, uh, this format, uh, especially with the comments, uh, has been uh, pretty useful for uh, debugging. We, have in the past often found ourselves uh, um, going to uh, uh, developers of, of related systems saying, we don't think this is our problem, and, and here's, here's why. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's worked out pretty well. So that's the end of my prepared notes, uh, but uh, I, I can uh, uh, take uh, any questions. I'm just going to add a comment about actually adding comments. So that's something that's key for the person who's writing to the database is to write useful comments. Because obviously you can tell um, just by looking at the transaction what changed, but it's helpful if the, the application that wrote the database explains exactly why those changes were made. And so um, you know, we encourage all of the you know, people who are making modifications to do that. Ben mentioned OBSVS Kettle by default um, just logs the um, whatever the command was that's run. But if uh, in something like um, you know, uh, MSX, um, it, will, you know, it will make changes, and then they'll have some sort of identification, which is which part of the processing that they're doing and why they made the changes, which is helpful for debugging. I had to look at a log file, but I don't see MSX agent making these comments anymore. Oh, OK. Well, yeah, MSX MH did. I'm not sure yeah, about yeah. MSXT. So we probably should talk to the MSXT yeah. folks. Yeah. It would be helpful, yeah. So, um, like in OpenFlow, we have uh, different versions, and it can be negotiated between the controller and the vSwitch Does OBSDB has something like this, or we just maintain versions of schema and use the latest? So, OBSDB has a couple different places where versions are relevant. Uh, one is in the schemas. So, for schemas, uh, we have a, a notion of a version number. Uh, and version numbers are divided into three parts, the, the major version, the minor version, and the, uh, the you might say, the revision. Uh, and the, the way we encourage people to use these is that uh, if you make an incompatible change so that uh, old software can't use a, a database the new version, then you increment the major version. If you make a compatible change, usually one that just adds stuff, then you increment the minor version. And if, if you just make, say, changes that don't really matter, they're more cosmetic, then you uh, increment the, uh, the, the revision. Uh, so that, that's one place where OVSDB has versioning. Uh, we've also done revisions or extensions to the network protocol several times. Uh, we've managed to make those backward compatible every time. So uh, what, what we do in our clients is we try to use the new feature, and if the database server returns an error, then we fall back to some older feature. And so it might be worth mentioning what happens when we update like the, the minor version. So if you make additions, like what happens to the default values if you're, if you're upgrading a system? Uh, yeah, so uh, OVSDB, uh, when you insert a row or you uh, update a, a schema and there, there aren't values supplied for a particular column, uh, then uh, it, it, by default it's, uh, it has some kind of a default value. Uh, a lot of our columns uh, are what I call optional. That is, uh, we allow them to have no values in them. Uh, like I, I mentioned, how you can have a column that would be blank or true or false. And uh, in that case, uh, if it's an optional column, then the default value is, is empty. And that, that works out uh, well in a lot of cases. And we, we tend to uh, re revise schemas with, with that in mind. So if you have multiple clients, basically, <coughs> which uh, have this monitoring turned on for ESDB, so how does it keep track of, OK, client one has the latest information. I have already sent the diff to the client one, but I have not sent it to client two or three. So I think there's a, there's a local copy, and so it, it maintains, a, it knows about the connection state. Every connection that it has, it just has local state about what it's sent and what the current status is. And so if like if you had a client like OVS vSwitchD and then it disconnected and then it reconnected, mm -hmm. it doesn't remember the previous state. It just sends it all as if it's a new connection. 
the, the server doesn't really know about its clients. It knows about particular sessions. So, uh, uh, right, if, if you have a, a particular TCP or Unix domain socket connection uh, to the server, then, then that, that's what it's tracking. So if you disconnect and reconnect, then, uh, yeah, it, it, you'll have to, first of all, uh, well, if you connect with a new, uh, with a new socket, then uh, you have to ask for a new monitor, and then it'll send you the whole thing um, uh, and, and, and start from there. So then, since, it's, since we have some people from support here, maybe is it worth talking a little bit about the tools that we have? I, mean, I guess I guess you sort of already touched on it, but like, I guess the main one that they would probably interact with is the OBSDB tool and the monitor command. Yeah, so we have a few different tools. So there's OVSDB tool, which works with the on-disk uh, format for the databases. So you can use that to create a new database, uh, you can use it to um, retrieve basic information like what's the what's the schema in this database, uh, what's the version number of the schema. Uh, you can use it to uh, say take a database at rest and compact it, uh, throwing away uh, most of the log. Uh, and then we have a few features like uh, um, you, you can you can display the log. Um, for the, the newer uh, clustered format, there's sort of a consistency checker if you have multiple uh, uh, servers. Um, so that, that works with the on-disk format. We, we also have a tool called OVSDB Client uh, that, that works with the server. So instead of pointing it to a disk file, you, you point it to an OVSDB server. And you can use that to uh, do things like retrieve the list of uh, Retrieve the list of databases that that server is serving out uh, to uh, and, and to do a lot of the things that you would do with OVSDB tool, except that you're talking to a server uh, rather than a file. So you can, again, you know, retrieve schemas. Um, you can retrieve version numbers. Uh, you in the newest versions, you can tell it to do things like uh, do online uh, schema conversion, so that uh, you you can upgrade or downgrade a database. Uh, uh, w without uh, ever having to restart the server or disconnect the clients. Um, and uh, both of these tools can also do uh, transactions, either read-only or, or read-write, against a, a database file or a, um, or a, a server. It, they're not a very friendly way uh, to do database transactions, though, because you have to specify uh, the transaction using this JSON format. If, if you want to interact with one of these databases, you're much better off uh, using... Uh, one of the most of them have uh, tools that are specific to the particular schema, like OVS vs Kittle is a tool for working with databases that uh, have the, the OVS configuration format. You know, uh, uh, VTEP Kittle is for working with databases for the OVS DB VTEP uh, schema, uh, and, and so on. And, and then also the so the I think in order to see the log, though, you probably have to use OVS DB tool. On the file, not on the. I don't think there's a way with an OVSDB client to get that from the server. Is there? There's definitely some commands that only work with uh, uh, either files or servers, and uh, yeah, displaying the log only works with the file. Right, and then I think that the my my so every once in a while we'll go through and we'll compact the the um, the, the file, which means that we we basically take whatever the current. State the, the current tip of all of the changes, and then we just make that one one big transaction that duplicates all of the current state, and so then you lose everything before that. And so, but I think that the, by default, when we compact things, we usually we usually make a backup of the file. So in the directory that has that um, that OVS. Um, configuration database file, there'll usually be backups of the when a, tran when a um, compaction has occurred. So you can look at, if, like you look at the history and you see that it's compacted and you can't look back far enough, there may be a backup file that contains a, a previous version that you know, has um, additional information. And I think we, we, rough, we, we compact roughly every 10, meg when it gets to about 10 megabytes in size, right? Uh, there's some other uh, um, requirements, but that's the minimum size before we compact, yeah. Uh, the, the other time that we do backups is before we uh, uh, convert a database to a, a newer schema or an older one. Yeah, so, so I can say that uh, like vSwitchD is basically an OVSDB client, so from time to time it, it get like changes from OVSDB server and then do some uh, update accordingly. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, vSwitchD is a uh, OVS DB server client. It it doesn't have any special interfaces. It doesn't have a a backdoor, and it uh, doesn't uh, directly access the files. It, it, it's just a client like any other client. We designed it that way uh, from the beginning, just to make sure that the the general purpose interface to OVSDB was also uh, good enough for uh, for vSwitchD. It, it, if you design things with two APIs or two interfaces, then it's it's easy to uh, overlook things and 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 uh, uh, miss miss important things. Yeah, so it uses like the same CIDL that the um, like OBSVS kind uses. Yeah, I think it might be worth having an, another session to talk about the um, the APIs that we use from from C and from Python uh, because they're. Uh, I feel like they're pretty good, but they're more complicated than I like, um, and it, it, it probably would be helpful to people to better understand them. Uh, and in the logs, like, do we um, do we also specify like what client is making the change, or like or the connection session number or something like that? So uh, we don't have anything special for mentioning the connection, but uh, all the clients I'm aware of, uh, in their comment, they would at very at the very least tell you what program they are. Um, and like uh, uh, VS Kittle, in addition to the command line, it also tells you things like the uh, the, the process ID of its parent and and the name of the, the program that it's its parent. So we, we found that that's pretty useful to know whether you know if the parent is Bash, then it's probably a system administrator. If the the parent is some random demon, uh, then it, it's probably uh, not a human. And. Uh, uh so, uh, increasing the verbosity of these uh, uh, logs, like what is the impact on the performance? Like, is it something which we can do with custom setup? Uh, can you can you rephrase that? We we don't really have two verbosities of logs. What do you uh, uh, what do you mean? So, increasing the verbosity. You said like you can change the verbosity so that you can get more information as to like what sure. is the transactions. Uh, that's a th that's a option to the OVSDB tool. So it would just be a, a really. I don't think it has a. I mean, the DB tool might take a few more milliseconds to run. It, it's just a matter of how much detail you want to, uh, to to look at when you're trying to troubleshoot something or learn about what's going on. Yeah, so just to be clear, that when you increase the verbosity, it's not increasing the amount of logging that's happening when the system is running. It's just increasing the amount of information showing you when you're in the command. It's the All of that information is available. It just hides it. it just it, when, you, when you run it without the, the more verbosity, it just gives you less information. It's, it's what we have seen. Exactly. It's what you're seeing, not what's been sorted. It's the difference between running LS and running LS-L. Well, we're about out of time, um, but uh, I'm here and happy to answer questions uh, uh, separately as well. Thanks, everyone. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons Unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org, or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.